Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites. As it is written, the people, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciple asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. Well, I have another confession to make. Um, I am somewhat of a recovering germaphobe. Uh, When I was a little kid, something kind of uh, kind of snapped in my brain, and I just became obsessive about avoiding germs. It's a very difficult thing to do because you can't see germs, and germs are spread pretty easily. But for a while in my life, I tried to avoid germs at all costs. So I'd wash my hands obsessively, uh, so much so that they would get raw sometimes. I was constantly worried about contaminating things or being contaminated by things. And uh, it was difficult because, you know, it's so easy to spread germs. And uh, I remember, you know, just take the case of you go to the bathroom. And after you go to the bathroom, you go and you wash your hands. And you think, all right, my hands are clean. But then you touch the handle, the handle that you just touched and everybody else touched after they went to the bathroom. And you're like, all right, I've got to wash my hands again. So you wash your hands again. And then you take a paper towel and, and you know, turn off the handle with a paper towel. So you think, all right, I'm clean. So you go and you grab the door handle to go out. Then you think about how many people went to the bathroom there, didn't wash their hands, and walked out and touched the doorknob. So you think, okay, I've got to wash my hands, and then I've got to take the paper towel, turn the faucet off, then take the paper towel, open up the door handle, and then hopefully find the garbage and throw it out. That's all assuming that there's paper towel around. Or you, you take cooking, for example. Uh, I wash my hands before I would cook, 
But then, you know, maybe I'd rest my hand on my pants like this. And I go, well, there might be germs on my pants. So I go and wash my hands again. And so then I, I would go and I'd open up a drawer. I think, well, how many people touched that drawer? I better wash them again. And I think I'm finally good. And then I was like, oh, there's the, the handle again. I, didn't, I touched the handle on the faucet again. It was a pretty uh, obsessive experience, something I could only keep up for a while. Uh, finally, I gave up. And now when I go to places like the gym, I try to pretend like everything's clean and everything's sterile. Just kind of put it out back of my mind. Try to forget the fact that virtually everything you touch is loaded with germs. These Pharisees in this story are somewhat kind of like I was when I was a kid. They're kind of like germaphobes. But they're washing, their obsessive washing of their hands, of their bowls, of the beds that they laid on. It, it wasn't a because of the germs. It was because of a purity. It's kind of hard for us to understand, but they believed that different things could make objects spiritually impure. Now, in the Old Testament, there were a number of purity laws, um, and these purity laws kind of set Israel apart as a separate nation, and that was kind of the ideal, the first primary cause of that. And secondarily, they were to kind of, they were for those practical concerns like limiting disease and whatnot. And so those things we look at in the Old Testament were kind of civil commands given for Israel. And so we don't necessarily follow all those rules today because they were given to the nation of Israel. But despite the fact that there are some purity laws in the Old Testament, the Pharisees went way above and beyond those purity laws. See, the Pharisees believed that not only was the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, the Torah, the Word of God, but they also believed that there was an oral tradition that was authoritative. In other words, that on Mount Sinai, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, He also gave him an oral interpretation of how to interpret those things. And so the interpretations of the rabbis were just as authoritative as the Word of God itself. And in today's world, it would almost be like if you took all the pastors and all the sermons that you've ever heard and put them all together into a book and said this is as authoritative as the Word of God, you'd probably get a little bit far from the truth. You'd probably get a little bit away from what God had intended because He's only authorized His Word as the Word of God. So they started to add all these rules and all these interpretations of the purity command and they believed that many different things were impure. They believed that any excretions were unclear, uh, unclean, uh, that women after childbirth were unclean, that corpses were unclean, scavengers, creeping things, idols, as well as people like Gentiles, Samaritans, and lepers. Um, and my favorite one was they believed that even parts of the Scripture were unclean. There are parts of the Scripture that were written in Aramaic, and in uh, Daniel and Ezra, and uh, they believed that these parts of the Scripture were actually unclean. And if you touched uh, the scroll that contained that Aramaic uh, writing, you would become unclean. And they believed that the only way to, trans- to uh, make it clean was to translate it into Hebrew. So they were pretty obsessive about these purity laws. Um, and they come to Jesus and they ask Him why His disciples and why He, by implication, doesn't wash His hands before they eat. Now, 
We know that in the Old Testament, there's no command to wash your hands before you eat. Some of us are probably a little bit too happy about that. It's still not a bad idea. But there's no command in the Old Testament that you have to wash your hands before you eat. And so Jesus responds and He says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. And then He goes on and quotes this passage from Isaiah. See, for these Pharisees, this purity issue wasn't an isolated issue. It was uh, kind of something that brought to the surface something that was much deeper. He calls them a hypocrite. Hypocrites were uh, people who were in the Greek theater who would, were kind of like our everyday actors. But they would often wear masks, and they, these masks would kind of, you know, they would play the part of their masks. And so Jesus says that you're hypocrites, that they're only concerned with playing the part, following the rules to play the part. It's truly one of the worst errors that we can fall into to become a hypocrite. One dictionary called these, calls these hypocrites practical atheists. They're practical atheists. They are doing religious things, but they're not truly living for God. They're living for themselves. So I think when we talk about his, a hypocrite, it's kind of a difficult thing for us to sometimes wrap our minds around. And so I want to try to clarify that a little bit about what is a hypocrite so there's no confusion. Now, as believers in Jesus, we believe in the Bible. We believe, say, in the Ten Commandments. Uh, Most of us here, if you're a believer, you'd say, yes, the Ten Commandments are true. I believe that you shouldn't, should do these things, shouldn't do the uh, other things. Uh, You know, things like, you know, dishonoring parents is wrong, committing adultery is wrong, having other gods before the true God is wrong. Ten Commandments, they're true. But how many of us have kept the Ten Commandments perfectly? I don't think there's anybody in this room that's kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. We've all fallen in one way or the other. Now, you could look at that and say, well, you're a hypocrite. You say that you believe these things. You say you believe the Ten Commandments, but you've broken some of them. That doesn't necessarily make you a hypocrite. If your life doesn't exactly line up with everything that God has revealed, it doesn't necessarily make you a hypocrite. You know, we all believe God's Word. We believe everything that's in our God's Word. But that doesn't mean that we're perfect and we've applied all those things to our lives yet. So it doesn't necessarily mean that we're a hypocrite if our life doesn't fully match up with the message that we proclaim and what we believe. Otherwise, we wouldn't have any more work to do. We'd be perfect. So what is a hypocrite? What's the difference between someone who follows after God, a true worshiper, and a person who's a hypocrite? A true worshiper, I think, is someone who seeks to honor God, but a hypocrite seeks to honor himself. A true worshiper seeks to honor God, but a hypocrite seeks to honor himself. We look at a number of passages in the Scriptures that talk about hypocrites, and when Jesus refers to somebody as a hypocrite. See, hypocrites give to the needy so that everyone else will see how good they are, how righteous they are. Matthew 6, verse 2 says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Say, do the same thing with prayer. Matthew 6, verse 5 says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
And then we see the example in Luke chapter 18 of the Pharisee who's praying by himself. And he gives the example prayer of a hypocrite. He says, God, I thank You that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The hypocrite uses religion in order to make himself look better. The hypocrite uses religion as a form of kind of works righteousness to set him or herself apart from the others around them. Religion, the gospel, is a tool. Makes him or her look better in the eyes of his peers. It also can even procure material benefits for him or her. And that's the case in the story, the illustration that Jesus gives. Jesus gives this situation of korban. The word korban means a gift or an offering. And what a number of scholars believe was happening was that uh, what would happen is someone would have a piece of property or some materials and they would dedicate it as korban. This would be similar to what we have as a life estate today uh, where you would maybe designate someone to get something after you die, but while you're alive, you can still enjoy it and still use it. So they dedicate their uh, materials korban to the Lord, then they would still be able to enjoy them throughout their lives. Uh, just when they would die, they would, that would go to uh, the temple. But when their family was in need and would come to them, they said, well, I can't do anything. It's all given to God. I can't touch it. And now, you know, that day and age, there wasn't Social Security. There weren't pensions. I mean, a person who was elderly had no recourse they had no way to support themselves, and so the children had to support their parents. And they said, well, I can't help you. I've given it all to God already. I can't, can't touch it. And meanwhile, they're enjoying it themselves. It was a way of using God to benefit themselves financially. One scholar named T.W. Manson puts it this way, a man goes through the formality of vowing something to God, not that he may give it to God, but in order to prevent some other person from having it. They give it to God to prevent somebody else from having it. Not only do they do this, they encourage other people to do the same thing. You know, and if, if they wanted to use their property, they said, well, you can't get out of this vow. You've made this vow to God. You cannot help your parents. And Jesus says, you're breaking my command by your rules. You're breaking the command that I've given you, what I've intended, by creating these rules and creating these situations that prevent people from doing what I've called them to do. That's the heart of hypocrisy. The truth is, some of the most religiously oriented people that you'll meet in life are some of the most nasty, evil people you'll ever meet. It's a sad situation, but it's the reality. Some of the people who know the Bible the most, who read the Bible the most, who pray, are the most nasty, evil people you'll ever meet. And the reason is because they use religion as a tool. Just like people are interested in other things, they're interested in religion as something to help me achieve my goals, to help me feel better than my neighbor. If I do these things, I'll build myself up. And that's why religious people can do very terrible things in the name of religion. Blaise Pascal put it this way, men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. They never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. So that's who the Pharisees are. They're hypocrites. They're doing all these rituals. They're cleaning 
their hands. They're cleaning these utensils. And this is kind of just the tip of the iceberg. It says that Jesus tells them they, they do many such things. I mean, they do all kinds of different things like this to try to build themselves up, to benefit themselves. And they're using the guise of religion to do that. But Jesus said, your hand washing, your rituals, your attempt at purity, it really can't fix the problem that's in your heart. He says the things that contaminate a person are from the inside. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. He said these are the things that can defile you. And these are the things that come from inside. Whether or not you wash your hands or not, that's not going to defile your heart. In other words, Jesus is saying, cleaning your hands won't clean your heart. Cleaning your hands won't clean your heart. The outward displays of religion, the hand washing, the keeping of the law, their giving, it's not going to fix their hearts. And the same thing is true for us apart from Christ. We can go to church, we can read our Bible, we can give, we can serve, we can even go into ministry, but if our hearts are unclean, these things will do us no good. And apart from Christ, the Scriptures tell us that our hearts are unclean. In Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we all have unclean hearts apart from Christ. And our hand washing, our attempts at works righteousness of working our way to God can never fix the problem that's in our hearts. Not only are our hearts unclean, but I think apart from Christ, we all have a little bit of hypocrite in us. We all have a tendency to use God for our own ends. To use the Bible, to use church, to use any religious thing to meet our own goals, to make ourselves look better than our neighbor. But while cleaning our hands won't clean our hearts, Jesus can clean the most filthy heart. Jesus can clean the most filthy heart. Titus 3, 3 3-5, it says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot in there. But I think this describes the Pharisee situation perfectly. So, they were pa- it says, passing our days in malice and envy. That's where these Pharisees were. They were trying to use the law, trying to use their own traditions to make themselves look better than the neighbor. To make themselves better than those around him. Hated by others and hating one another. By, uh, although they proclaimed the love of God, they kept other people from doing what God had called them to. And these laws surfaced as a fence to keep others away from them. But when the goodness and kindness of our God and Savior appeared, God sent His Son Jesus to the earth. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rose again on the third day. And He did that to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to forgive us of all of our past deeds, and through the Holy Spirit to make our heart new. To wash us and renew us by the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. That through the Gospel, God can take people who are His enemies, people who are hypocrites, people who are unclean, 
and make them his sons and daughters, forgiving them from all their sins and all their unrighteousness. So if you're here today, you can be made new today. No matter who you are or what you've done, no matter what your background is, Jesus can change you today. He can change you from being a hypocrite to being one who's consumed by His love. He can change you from being someone who's focused on themselves, focused on my righteousness and my looking better than those around me to someone who's focused on Him and His righteousness. He can make you new today. And if you're here today and you never entered into a relationship with Christ and you know that maybe you've been using religion in the way uh, to benefit yourself, not as a means to know God. Maybe after the service today, maybe when you go home, you spend some time talking to God and say, God, I need you to cleanse me. God, I need you to give me a new heart, a heart that wants to love you, a heart that wants to serve you. But I think there's another point that we need to make for those of us who have a relationship with God, who know Jesus. There's a one-time cleansing when we become believers in Jesus where He cleanses us from all our sins, forgives us from all our past, present, future sins. But there's also a continual cleansing where we need to continually run to Him when we fall short of God's standards, fall short of what He's called us to. I mean, you look at the story... And you look at how far these Pharisees had gotten away from what God had called them to do. I mean, by their rules and by their uh, admonitions, they were preventing people from doing the law, preventing them from doing what God had called them to do. And as believers, we need to kind of always be checking ourselves, always be running back to the Scriptures to see if our lives and our message is in line with what He said. So we run back to the Scriptures and say, does my life exemplify what is in His Word? The Dutch writer Jodocus von Lundstein said the churches were formed and always in need of being reformed according to the Word of God. So we need to always be running back to His Word. Making sure that we're not in straying away from His Word. Making sure that we're not making up our own rules and going our own way, but running continually back to Him. And the Scriptures say that when we do that, when we call to Him, when we repent, He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so some of us today, maybe most of us, if not all of us, maybe there's areas of our life where we need to repent. Where we're not in line with God's Word and we need to run to Him and find His cleansing and His grace in our lives. A number of years ago, in 2006, there was a movie called The End of the Spear uh, that came out. It was about a number of missionaries, one of whom was named Nate Saint, uh, who were missionaries to the Wadoni people of South America. And uh, while they were trying to show the love of Christ to these Wadoni people, uh, these, this was a very hostile crime, and they ended up murdering, him, murdering them. But despite that, their families forgave the Wodoni people, and their families went back and tried to witness to them, and many of them came to know the, know the Lord in the end. Nate, Sa- Nate Saint's son, Steve, was asked a question. He, they asked him, so you've had a history of reconciliation with the Wodoni over the years. 
But there wasn't a specific moment of reconciliation. He replied, it was a developing thing. But I think that the point of reconciliation really was with a man named Micaiah, the man who actually killed Steve's father, and my Aunt Rachel. In her journal, she once wrote, Tonight when I was sleeping in the hammock, I heard a noise. Someone was walking around in the dark. Micaiah called out to her and squatted by her fire wanting to talk. He said, You said that Wengongi, the Creator, is very strong. Aunt Rachel said, Minkiah, he is very strong. He made everything here, even the dirt. Minkiah said, You said that he could clean somebody's heart. My heart being very, very dark. Can he clean even my heart? Aunt Rachel said, Being very strong, he can clean even your heart. She wrote that Minkiah got up and walked away. But then the next morning, he came back excited. He said, Star, what you said is true. Speaking to God, He has cleaned my heart. Now it's Watambo. It's clear like the sky when it has no clouds in it. That was the real beginning of reconciliation, he says. Cleaning our hands won't clean our hearts. It's nothing we can do to earn God's favor, but when we come to Him, when we confess our sins to Him, He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness and He'll make our hearts new. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You that You sent Your Son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross as a substitute for our sins. That You've said in Your Word that He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That because of His sacrifice, we can be made clean. Our hearts can be made clean that You can change us through the power of Your Holy Spirit to go from people who are hypocrites to people who love You and worship You. God, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know You. God, I pray that today would be the day that they enter into a relationship with You, turning from their sins and inviting You into their lives by faith. And God, I pray for the rest of us who know You. Uh, God, it's so easy to stray. Our hearts are prone to wander from You. God, I just pray that we would turn to You, that we would return to You, and that You would make us new. That You would make us a a people who have clean hearts and clean hands. People who love You with all of our hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.